You're listening to the Deeper Christian Bible Study Series in the book of Ephesians. Thank you for joining me, Nathan Johnson, on an in-depth, verse-by-verse study of this incredible book by Paul. Now, let's dive into the lesson for today. Well, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2. Again, we've been walking through a a series at the end of chapter 2 of Ephesians. And uh, I want to walk through these last couple of verses with you. And uh, it probably won't take us as long as the front half of this chapter, but we'll, we'll see how long or what it does here. Uh, what I want to do is begin reading in verse 19 and just read down through verse 22. And uh, Paul, again, is kind of coming out of this section of talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. And <clears throat> he's coming kind of to this final climactic uh, declaration or statement or uh, description. And he says this in uh, chapter 2, verse 19. He says, Now therefore... You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, and whom the entire building, tightly framed together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God through the Spirit." Uh, again, we've been walking through this whole thing, in, starting with verse 11, but here the Jews and the Gentiles, they hate each other. Uh, they, they are at animosity with one another. And what has Jesus done? He has brought them together. In fact, he's brought them together so tightly and brought peace that now they're, according to Paul, there's no longer Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. There's just Christian, which is a phenomenal thought. And again, <clears throat> we've been walking through this idea that here is Jesus He is peace, he makes peace, and he proclaims peace as we were walking through verses 14 uh, down through verse 17. And in the last study, we were looking at verse 18 about the fact that now through Jesus, we both have access unto the Father, which is phenomenal. Uh, Now, as we get into verse 19, uh, 21 22, it's interesting, Paul is hearkening back into the early part of this, going back into verses 11, 12, and 13, And he's kind of bringing a summary or a conclusion to that which he started in this whole section. So if you want to kind of see the flow, in verses 11 and 12, he's setting up this contrast by saying, Hey, uh, the Jews have cut you off as a Gentile from the reality of this covenant of promise thing. So what did Jesus do? Oh, he removed all those barriers. He broke down all the divisions. And he's bringing you together into the reality of the family of God. And so he starts with this contrast, explains the reasoning why, and now he's coming back to the contrast, and he's giving you some more details about what Jesus has done in bringing these two groups together as one. So it may just be helpful for us if we just read 11, 12, and 13, just to have, again, these kind of bookend ideas. So again, if you have your Bibles, let's just look at uh, verse 11 here, down to verse 13. Uh, Paul again says, Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision in the flesh by human hands, you were at that time apart from Christ, alienated from the citizenship of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, You who were formerly afar away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
And so, again, Paul is setting up this contrast. He says, hey, you had no access. You were, not a citizen. you were not a citizen. In fact, you were a stranger to the covenants of promise. And isn't it interesting? He's kind of looping around. And now in verses 19 down to verse 22, he's saying, hey, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but now you are citizens, which is, is kind of neat. Uh, the word there, strangers, in verse 19 in our passage, strangers and foreigners, uh, it's interesting that both of those words really have the same connotation. Uh, the word strangers, if I can just give you a definition here, uh, it's a person who comes from a foreign country who does not owe allegiance to your country. And it is frequently speaking of someone who does not speak one's native tongue. So if I go over to China, right, I am a stranger. I don't know the language. I owe no allegiance to the Chinese government, right? I'm just, I'm just there. Now the word foreigner it's interesting, almost takes it another step further, and it is one who lives in a place without the right of citizenship. In other words, I decide I actually want to live in China. So what do I do? I, I go get a house, and I start paying all the taxes and all that kind of stuff. Why? Because I want to participate, but I'm actually not a part of it. I, I'm, I'm removed. Again, it's that idea of I'm, I'm cut off. I'm an outsider. Uh, I've been separated. And Paul says do you realize that is no longer true of you? Yeah, that may have been true of you as a Gentile prior to Jesus. But now in Jesus, you are not a stranger nor a foreigner. That you've actually been brought in and now you actually have the reality of all that's going on in the kingdom of God. Now, it's interesting what Paul ends up doing is he gives you three pictures in our passage talking about the new reality. He uses the picture of citizenship. He uses the picture of family and he uses the picture of a building, or specifically a temple. And he says, do you know what God has done? Oh, he gives you three pictures. Now, I want to walk through those three pictures this morning, and there is a danger of what I'm about to do, because we're told in communication to make it really simple for people, not to give, you know, overwhelming details. And we're told, you know, keep it to three points. And originally, <clears throat> when I was going through all this, I think I had five or six points under each of the three points, and I realized that's going to cause chaos. So I, I simplified it down to three under each of the three, which is still dangerous. But the only other option I had was to split this into three sermons. And for your sake, uh, as well as mine, I decided not to do that. So we're going to try to cover all three and give an overview of all three. Again, we're just going to do big picture stuff. But what I want to do for each of these is I want to look at the benefits or the rights that you have under each of these pictures. I want to look at the responsibility or the action that you have uh, under each of these. And then I want to look at the representation of what that means under each of these three things. Does that make any sense? So we're just going to keep repeating those three things under each of the, th the big three headers. And I should have just built a chart and just handed everyone a chart. That would probably make logically more sense visually. Uh, but since we don't, you'll have to endure, I guess. Uh, so do, the, do your best, I guess, to follow along. So the first picture Paul gives us then is that of a citizen. Citizen. Now, biblically, the word citizen shows up four times in Scripture, but this particular word is only, it is only used once, and it's here, obviously, in our passage. But it's the word citizen, which is used four other times in, in Scripture, but it has a little prefix before it, which is the word soon, which means with or among or belong. It's that kind of idea. So it's like with citizenship or with belonging citizenship or alongside citizenship. It's, it's that kind of idea. 
So it's not just you're a citizen, you're a citizen with. It's that idea. That makes sense? And the significance of that, I think, is profound in our passage. Because again, he's talking about the Gentiles being brought in with the Jews. The Jews have citizenship in the kingdom of God. In fact, you, you see that uh, down in verse 12, that the Jews have citizenship. And you don't have citizenship as a Gentile. But now, in Christ, you have citizenship with. Isn't that awesome? That you've been brought in, you've been sucked into the reality of the kingdom of God, and now your citizenship is with the Jews. So much so that, according to Paul, there's no difference. It's not, well, I've, I've got, I was born into citizenship and you were granted citizenship. It's that we are all citizens of the kingdom of God. We are all saints and members of his household. Which means we are not second-class citizens. Because we are not strangers and foreigners who, are now being, who, who were originally looked down upon. right? Because they were, they, were, they were seen with suspicion and dislike because they did not belong. There is no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. Which is encouraging to me. Because I'm a Gentile. By the way, so are you. So, you know. so hey, this is, this is great news that there are no second-class citizens. It's not going to be when we get to heaven, well, the Jews got you know, all the, little, the, the, the really nice buildings right, along, right around the temple. And, but hey, at least you made it, and you, know, you can have the outhouse you know, in the back 40. You know, that's, that's not the reality of, of the kingdom. The reality of the kingdom is, hey, you have full citizenship. You have full rights. You have full privileges. So let's look at those three things. What are the rights or the benefits of a citizen? citizen? Well, there's several things. And again, we're just going to do some big picture stuff. Uh, one, you have protection. Isn't it phenomenal that in Christ we have protection? That, that he is our stronghold. He is our fortress. He is our strong deliverer. He is our rock. Why? We are citizens. And we get to benefit of the protection of the kingdom of God. Uh, there's this idea of the access, that you have access to the throne room of God. And unlike, like in this country, right, I do not actually have access to the White House. I do, I guess, you know, but I'll be shot. So, but the reality of heaven is that I, I actually have access unto the throne room of God. In fact, I have access unto the king, so as a, citizen, as a citizen of this kingdom, it's not that I just have this king out there somewhere. Well, have you ever met him? No, but, you know, hey, I've got a king. It's not that idea. This is, hey, I know the king, and I have access unto the king. Why? Because I'm a citizen. That's a whole different kind of kingdom. Uh, there's obviously the uh, advantages of the fact that he's our king, right? He gives protection. He gives direction. Uh, he gives uh, provision and oversight, Right? He judges fairly. Right? There's a righteousness of the kingdom. But there's other advantages in the kingdom. Uh, for example, you get to have freedom. That the kingdom is actually not about the laws and the, what you can and you cannot do. In fact, you get in the kingdom, you find you actually have more freedom. You have more life. It, it's the sin stuff that actually chains you. Put, puts, puts the chains and the noose around your neck. And what may look like freedom... In sin actually only leads to death. But is in the freedom of the reality of the kingdom. Well, you're telling me I can do whatever I want? No, you can't do whatever you want. But there's actually freedom. You can have as much love as you want. 
No one's going to stop you. There, there's no limit to peace. There is no limit to patience. There, there is no limit to kindness or goodness or faithfulness or gentleness or self-control, Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. That there's no limit to this kind of stuff. In fact, there is full freedom. There, there, there are no neck pains in the kingdom of God because you don't have to look over your shoulders to see who's watching you all the time. That, that's encouraging. And so actually, even though there are boundaries of the kingdom, and just like any kind of kingdom or any country, there are boundaries. You need to stay within the boundaries of that kingdom. But within the kingdom, there's freedom. Now, there's no sin in this kingdom, so I can't participate in it. That's out, actually outside the kingdom. But you realize, if I don't have to participate in all that stuff, there is tremendous freedom to live. There is peace, truly, that surpasses all understanding. There is freedom and life and joy that is to be had. Why? Because the fullness of joy is in the presence of the king. And all of that becomes an advantage of being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That's exciting. Do, do you know what the advantage of being a, a citizen of the kingdom of darkness is? Death. <laughs> that's, that's the one privilege of the kingdom of darkness is death. And yet you get light and love and joy and, I mean, the reality of heaven is yours because you are now a citizen. That's exciting to me. So that's, that's the rights or the benefits. Uh, number two, the idea of the responsibility or the action of a citizen. You realize that, and this should make sense to all of us, right? Every citizen of every country has certain rights or duties or actions, responsibilities that, that, that they are supposed to do. For example, we have the privilege of paying taxes. <laughs> Now, some of us may think it's too high, but there are actually benefits of that, right? right? We get roads, we get police, right? We get the fire department. We, there's, there's certain benefits that we have because we pay taxes, right? It's a responsibility that we have in this country. In a similar sense, there are certain actions that you get to do if you're a part of the kingdom of heaven. Well, what are those actions? Uh, what are the, what's the responsibility? Become like the king. you realize the actual responsibility of a citizen in the kingdom of God is to look just like the king. Uh, that, that we, according to Paul, must be in Christ. That that's actually a responsibility. Stay seated in Jesus. Just, just live in that reality. Respond to his movement in your life. Uh, allow Jesus to use your life as a flow-through channel for his life, his love, his truth, the gospel. Right, right? That, that becomes actually part of the action of a citizen. That, that we, our responsibility is to look like the king, to go after the king, to pursue the king, to delight ourselves in the king. And that's actually a responsibility of ours. To actually be formed and shaped and transformed by him, by the king, to look like the king. Which is kind of a neat thought. But what then is the representation of a citizen? You get to be an ambassador. Isn't it a neat thought that as a citizen of the kingdom of God, you actually become an ambassador of that kingdom. Uh, if I go over to Africa, I become a picture to those people that I see of what an American is. Right? I, and not that I am an official ambassador in the sense of a governmental sense, but I become a picture of what America looks like. So how I act, how I talk, how I behave, all becomes a picture of this country. Why? Because I'm a citizen of this country. If I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God... 
you realize that I am an ambassador, that wherever I go and what people see, they presume that's what a Christian looks like. So how a Christian talks, how a Christian thinks, how a Christian lives, how a Christian, you get to demonstrate that to the world. Why? Because you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. But not only are you a picture or representation, you are literally an ambassador that you actually get to take the message of the kingdom out into the world and proclaim it. That you get, you get the privilege of taking the message of the king to the world. Now, <clears throat> let me just give you one passage here, but, and you know it well, but 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. Of course, it's that phenomenal passage. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a brand new creature or creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. But then listen to what Paul says. He says, all of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, says Paul, we are ambassadors for Christ, and God is making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That you and I have the opportunity and privilege and joy of being an ambassador of the kingdom of God to this world. And that, that is just one of the rights and privileges and joys of being a citizen. So Paul says, do you realize, hey, you were cut off. Hey, you were always pushed aside. Hey, you were always out there. Hey, you were always... But now you've been brought in. Now you get to experience the reality of the kingdom. Now you are a citizen. And so you get to partake in the reality and the fullness of the citizen. That's awesome to me. So that's the first picture. The second picture Paul gives is that of family. Again, look at, uh, look at verse 19. Uh, Paul says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That you have become a part of the family. So you are not merely household slaves, at least you're in the house. That's not what Paul's saying. He says you're not a household slave. You've actually become a part of the family. That, that you are a legal heir. You are a son or daughter of the king through adoption. That's awesome. So it's not like I just snuck in and I'm just hiding out in the pantry. This is, well, at least I get to be in the house and I'll at least, you know, I'll, I'll sweep the floors. You know, I'll make the pasta. I'll do, I'll do whatever, right? The reality is, is that I actually get to be a son or a daughter of the king. And I get to live in that reality. I am a part of the family. That's good. So what are the rights or the benefits of, of being a part of the family? you realize the whole, the, if, if, I, if I was to simplify this, the biggest benefit is that it's relational. That the joy of being a part of the family is it's relationship stuff. It's not transactional. It's, it's relational. Which for some of us is probably hard. But the reality is, is it, we get to participate in the relationship that God actually wants relationship with us. Which means what? It's, it's fellowship. It's food. It's fun. That, it's that kind of stuff. See, we are not like the homeless guy who's walking around on Thanksgiving looking through the window and seeing this big festivity of a family who is gathered together having, having their big celebration with laughter and food and fun. What are we? We're, we're in the house. 
We're sitting down at the table. We have the big plate in front of us. Turkey and stuffing and mashed potatoes with gravy overflowing. Praise the Lord. You're right? It's just, it's, you know, we are participating in that reality. Right? The music is playing on the background and, and we're actually a part of the thing. We're not, we're not outside looking in. We're actually in. It's, again, it's relational, which means what? We, we, get to, we get to have intimacy with God. Do you know how phenomenal just that one thought is? That it's not like, well, he's over there, and so I'll go and I'll, I'll, I'll peace him, and I'll go give a sacrifice, and I'll... No, I actually get to have relationship and intimacy with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That, that he is our Father, which means what? We can crawl up into his lap and find our security and safety in him. Again, it's, 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 the, it's the intimate thing. It's the, it's the relational thing. That, that be, even though we are adopted in, we get to experience the, the benefits and the efficacy of his blood. Right? His, his blood has atoned. His blood has saved. His blood has cleared a conscience. His blood, and if you start looking through Scripture, what the blood of Christ does, I mean, it is a list of all the benefits and the joys of the blood of Christ. And so though I was outside and I've been adopted in, I now get to experience the benefit of the blood of the family. Isn't that a cool thought? Uh, that I'm starting to take on the DNA of the king, the head of the family. That, that his DNA, his, his insight stuff, he wants to press into my life. That I, I'm, to, I'm to become more and more like him. Now, I don't become God. We understand that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> right? But hey, you, you are to be Christ-like. That, that you are to have his peace, and you are to have his character, and you are to have his, his life. So you are taking on his DNA as a part of the family. Right? That there's a sense of belonging. There's all these amazing benefits as a part of the family. Well, then what's the responsibility then? What, what's the action of being a part of the family? And I think it's twofold. One, there's this idea of involvement that you have to be involved. You can't just sit out on the sidelines. You can't just say, well, I'm a part of the family. You've got to actually participate in the family thing. And, and whether or not we're actually doing this in our real families, but we are called to love, to serve, to wash the feet, to love, uh, to meet the needs of the people in our family. This is not about you. This is about the people around you. And if we are the body of Christ, that means stop turning inward and start turning outward. Hey, how, how can you serve one another? How, how can you go out of your way to pour your life out for the world around you? Uh, Paul, in Philippians 2, has that great passage where he says, uh, verses 3 and 4, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. How, how do we live in the family of God? This is not, we don't think about ourselves. This is not selfish. What do we do? We turn outward and we start washing the feet of, of those around us. You, you look at Jesus. What was he doing? He was constantly rolling up his sleeves saying, hey, how can I meet your needs? How can I pour my life out for you? Hey, hey, what do you need? Hey, hey, can, can I? I mean, he, he did that all the time. Wouldn't it be neat if the whole family of God did that? And could you imagine a body of believers coming together on Sunday morning, not thinking about themselves and not what they want and what they can get out of the service, but, oh, how can I serve you? And, hey, how can I meet your needs? And how can I pray for you? And anything I can do for you? And, and what would we call that group? Probably the church. But, you know, like, wouldn't that be a crazy thought? If, if we were coming not, not to be served, but to serve? 
I think the other side of this whole thing is, is not just pouring our lives out for those around us, but we actually get the privilege as a part of the family to increase the family, which goes back to that same ambassador idea. See, we've been adopted in, which means we get to go out to the world and say, hey, you should, you should get in on this. God has made every provision for you to be a part of the family. And I am an ambassador of the love, the truth, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Get in on this thing. And we actually get the privilege of increasing the family. So it's not just involvement in the family, not just pouring our life out for the family, but it's to increase the family because he wants, he wants people in. Uh, then there's the representation idea. And if you want one word for this idea of representation in the family, I would use the word identity that we actually get to bear the name of the family. His name is Christ, right? It's Jesus. And we get to be known as Christians. We are the ones who bear his name. Uh, we're the ones who are identified by him. And again, we've walked through this so many times, but names, especially in, in the Old and New Testament, weren't, wasn't just a name. It wasn't like just Bob and you know, Josephine and Susie or whatever. It wasn't just a name. Names were symbolic of character and nature and life kind of stuff. So if we are bearing his name, we're not just bearing a name, we're bearing character. We're bearing lifestyle, we're bearing attitude, we're bearing that kind of stuff. And you realize that if we are the bride of Christ, we are the ones who take on his name. Which means we should take on his life, we should take on his character, we should, we should be a demonstration. And we should be easily identifiable in this word by, world by Jesus. That when someone looks at us, they should have no way to explain how you and I are living outside of Jesus. That great quote from Ian Thomas. Right? That, that somehow the only explanation for our life is, is him. Why? Because we have him. We're a part of the family. So when they see us, they should go, wow, you must be a part of that family. Haven't you ever seen people who look so much like each other? But we had, we had a guy here this conference or this last weekend for the men's conference. And I never met him before, but I know his family really well. And he walked in. I went, oh, you must be Reuben. He goes, how do you know? I says, because you look like a Helmuth. And he does. If you've ever seen the rest of the family, they look identical. I mean, have you ever seen a Mockler? I mean, they, all, they just have this look, right? And maybe if you've never met one, one shows up. If you know all the other ones, one shows up. You go, oh, I think I know your family. Wouldn't it be neat if people had that with us? When, when we would step into their lives, they go, I don't know what it is about you, but you, you just look like this one family I know called Christians. Yeah, because I act like them and think like them and talk like them, and I am one. And see, that, that's actually a part of the, the representation or the blessing of being a part of the family of God is that there's this identity thing, that we get to have a relationship and intimacy, yes, but then we get to be known and identified with him. That's awesome to me. And by the way, just as a reminder, how they treated him is how they're going to treat you. So his identity becomes yours. And if they persecuted him and if they tortured him and then, hey, if they gave him hard times and they had problems, the servant is not greater than the master. The student is not greater than the teacher, Jesus says. So, hey, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Congratulations. <laughs> so expect it. But you get to have the identity of the family. So you have the citizenship idea, you have the family idea, and then the third picture that Paul gives is this idea of the building, specifically the temple. <clears throat> he says in verse 20, 
uh, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the entire building, tightly framed together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now we're going to look more specifically at that idea next uh, in the next uh, lesson here. But it's interesting that we get to be a part of a building. So Paul uses the picture of a citizen, he uses the picture of a family, and now he strangely changes kind of the, the flow here and uses the illustration of a building. And he says, hey, you're a temple. And, and hey, we, we know that, but you know, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, right? Paul says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Hey, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting, and we'll get into this next time, but every single member of the body of Christ is just absolutely essential and integral to the structure, the framing of this building. Now, there's a foundation laid, and we're being built upon that foundation, right? Jesus is the cornerstone. But hey, you are absolutely essential to the building. We cannot just take out a brick of the building and be like, it's totally fine. No, you are, you are important to the building. So again, you got to get this idea that, hey, you're a citizen. You're not a second-class citizen. You're a full-blown citizen. Hey, you're a part of the family. You're, you're not just a servant. You are an actual part of the family. You've been adopted in. And hey, you're an integral part of the building. You can't say, well, you know, I'm, I'm that thing that, you know, you can move and no one knows about. No, you are an important part of the building. So what, what then is the rights or the benefits of the building? Well, it's a temple. So there's this whole idea, which is so neat to me, there's this whole idea of sanctuary attached to this idea of the temple. Well, what was the sanctuary? It was a place where you could escape to and find hiding, safety, and refuge. You can find protection there. You find rest there. You find worship there. And if we are the temple, if we're, if we're all being built into this temple, then we actually can find continual refuge in Jesus. Does that make any sense? In other words, we become the sanctuary. He, he is the ultimate sanctuary. But we are being built up into this place of refuge. We are being built up into this place of safety. We are building, being built up into this place of rest and a place of worship. Now, there's this idea of saturation. That's not just a sanctuary, but one of the benefits is this idea of saturation. The temple was saturated with the presence of God. Guess what your life gets to be? just saturated with him. That, that your whole life is to be wrapped up in him. And, and, and every moment of every single day, this is not, hey, come down to church on Sundays and tip your hat to God. This isn't like, well, I'll give 15 minutes in the morning to devotions. This is, hey, your whole life is to be wrapped up in him. That every moment of every single day, there's to be a reality of Jesus. Why? Because you are the temple. So there never should be a moment when God is not moving in and through you because he is the reality of the temple. What was the temple distinguished by? Him. What should your life be distinguished by? Him. So there's this whole idea that, that we are to be constantly saturated with Him. And maybe another benefit, and again, we're just going high-level stuff here, but another benefit or another reality is that you get to have the sourcing of God in your life. That, that He becomes the impetus. It's, it's the grace of God thing that we constantly talk about. Right? That it his, it's his grace which enables you to live out the Christian life. That, that he is going to source your life. He becomes the engine for your life. He becomes the reality of your life. You, that we don't have to turn to our own pockets 
to, to somehow whip up Christianity, we actually have the power and the strength of Almighty God in us through His Spirit. I, those are phenomenal, by the way. Those are phenomenal benefits. This idea of sanctuary and so, uh, saturation and sourcing. That, that I get to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. My life gets to be marked by Him. And if that is true, then what is the responsibility or the action? Well, if I am the temple, if, if, he's the, he's, if He's the fullness, then my responsibility of that is I have to surrender. That I have to live in this constant state of dependence and abiding and, and just living in, <clears throat> in this response to all that He is wanting to do. That the life of a Christian is one of dependence, abiding, and surrender. That, that I am to be a branch who's constantly abiding into the vine. That I am to constantly respond to the life of the vine. That I am to experience his flow and his life and his strength and his experience. But, but the only way I'm going to ever have the fullness of him, the only way I'm going to experience his enabling grace is I have to surrender. I have to respond to that which he is doing. We're not talking about being passive. You don't get to be passive. You get to be active. But this is not about your strength or your wisdom or your intellect or your anything. This is, this is him and his movement and his flow and his life and, and his enabling grace moving in and through your life. So again, your whole responsibility then is surrender. Just live in that response. And what then is the representation? Well, you get to be the Spirit's abode. You get to be the dwelling place of God. That, that you, if you are a temple, you get to be a house of prayer for all the nations. That, that you get to be this place of refuge in the world. That, that you get to go out into this world and say, hey, there is hope. Right? That, that the Spirit of God gets to use you as a vessel to showcase himself. And just as the temple in the Old and New Testament was a picture, is, is, is the place that was marked by the life of God, the very presence of God, so your life in this world gets to be a picture, a, a mark, of the very life and the presence of God. So Paul, again, just get the concept here. Paul is saying, here are these Jews and here are these Gentiles. God has so brought them together and made them one that you who are always outside, you who are always far apart, you who could never partake of the promises of God have been brought near, and now you are a full-class citizen. Now you are actually a part of the family of God. And you are being built up, which again we're going to look at next time. But you're going to be built up into this incredible building, which is going to showcase the very presence of God. And what is this new reality that you and I get to participate in? What, what is this promise that we are partaking in as, as believers with the Jews? Well, I think if you want to simply, it's the life of God. What's the new reality? Him. What's the promise? It's Him. It's the promise of the Spirit. It's the promise of a fullness. It's the promise of, of, of having victory and triumph. It's a promise where you don't have to keep living in the sin and the defeat and the darkness and the destruction stuff. That now you, as a full-blown citizen of the kingdom, as a full-blown member of the household of God, we can actually live in the reality and the fullness of what that actually means. Meaning, you can be a Christian. And you can't actually live out the Christian life. Not because you have it in you but because you have it in him. Let me just close with a couple of verses really quick. Uh, I love these. Ephesians 3.6 This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Do you know what this is all about? Him. 
and you get to be a partaker of him. Colossians 1.27, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Oh, what's the mystery, Paul? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you realize that we've always been cut off? We've never had access. And what has God done? He has brought us in, and now we get to experience him. We get to have relationship. We get to to be wrapped up in intimacy and oneness. That's phenomenal to me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we are no longer strangers and foreigners. That we're not just some people who are trying to have access but can never actually get in. Lord, thank you that we are not second-class citizens. We are citizens. Thank you that we're not just merely household servants. We are part of the family. Lord, thank you that you're building us up into a building a place as a dwelling place for your, for your very presence. Lord, what would it look like if we actually lived this out today, this week, this month? Lord, what would it look like if we began to realize that we have the privilege of being an ambassador of the kingdom? That we get to share and demonstrate the identity of the family. That we get to be marked and showcase the promise of the Spirit, and that our lives become a place of prayer for all the nations. See, Lord, what would, what would it look like if we realized that we didn't have to peek in through the window, but we could actually sit down at the dinner table and have the, the fest, festivities and the family and the food and the fun? And... Lord, could you somehow get this out of the intellectual and out of the, the conceptual the abstract and bring it into reality in our lives that, that we begin to realize that we are sons and daughters of the King. That all the benefits of the kingdom are ours in you. That we can live in freedom. We can walk in victory. We, we can have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control because these are merely fruits of the Spirit. These are the realities of the kingdom. Lord, don't let us just hope. Don't let us just esteem. Let us experience. And as Paul said, may we somehow come to actually know that we are citizens, family, and this building for you to inhabit. Lord, may our lives be marked by you. Lord, may this culture, may this generation see you because they see you in and through our lives. And Lord, we want to surrender afresh this morning. We, we want to see you. We, we want to freshly give, our, give ourselves in consecration to you and say, Lord, our lives are yours. So spill us and spend us for the king and for the kingdom. And Lord, whatever it is that you are wanting to do in this day through our lives, have at it. Because our lives are not our own. We have been bought with a price. So Lord, use these lives. Use these vessels for the glory of the King, and for the sake of the kingdom. Lord, we love you. We just give you the praise and the glory in your precious, very powerful name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this study from the book of Ephesians with Nathan Johnson. If you would like additional resources to help you build your life around Jesus, 
I encourage you to check out my website at deeperchristian.com. This podcast is the audio version taken from my video series in Ephesians. And if you'd like to view the video version of this study, you can do so by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash Ephesians. No, I am cheering you on as you build your life around and upon Jesus Christ. See you next time.